Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to the FT Big Read, a weekly podcast reaching the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Murray Withers from the Comment and Analysis Desk of the Financial Times. In this podcast, Robin Wigglesworth and Gabriel Wildow looks at a group of hedge fund investors who place big bets on the collapse of the Chinese economy after the global financial crisis receded at the end of the last decade. While some made money on shorting China and are convinced that Beijing's debt is unsustainable, many have retreated. Now, Gabriel in Beijing assesses whether the hedge funds misread the country or if they just moved too early. Soon after the global financial crisis began to recede in 2009, an analyst at Kinecos Associates gave a presentation on China to the hedge fund's management, led by James Chanos. What he said made their jaws drop. The analyst estimated that at the time, there were 5.6 billion square meters of high-rise buildings under construction in China, a number so high the office space alone equaled a small cubicle for every man, woman, and child in the country, that Mr. Chanos assumed the analyst must have mixed up square feet and meters. But when the analyst said he had double-checked the numbers, the hedge fund manager was shocked. He later recalled realizing, wow, this is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. The silver-haired iconoclast rose to fame for being among the first to realize that Enron was a fraudulent house of cards, betting against, or going short in Wall Street parlance, the energy company. And in China, Mr. Chanos thought he had found Kinikos' next big short. He started betting against companies that would suffer if China crashed back to earth, and talked loudly about the dangers lurking in its massively indebted economy. He told CNBC in December 2009, Bubbles are best identified by credit excesses, not valuations. There is no bigger credit excess right now than China. A horde of fellow hedge fund managers, many of them with high profiles in the media, soon piled in as well, including Eclectica Asset Management's Hugh Hendry, Heyman Capital's Kyle Bass, John Burbank at Passport Capital, and Crispin Odie of Odie Asset Management. Fast forward to 2018, and the bears have mostly been forced to eat cold porridge. Although the Chinese economy has slowed from its double-digit growth of a decade ago, and there have been bouts of turbulence in 2015 and 2016, the turmoil dissipated each time. The debt implosion and currency collapse that many predicted have failed to materialize. China's gross domestic product grew 6.9% in 2017, the fastest pace in two years. Michael Gomez, a PIMCO fund manager, says... There was a great deal of momentum built up in the short China trade, but they missed the fact that China both had the will and the wallet to deal with these issues. That turned the tide. As a result, many skeptics have thrown in the towel. Mr. Hendry turned positive on China in 2016, but had to shut his hedge fund down last year. Corriente Advisors' Mark Hart gave up on his own China short in September, 
Mr. Burbank closed his flagship fund in December. Even Mr. Chanos says he is now the least short on China he has been since he implemented the trade. Betting against China was particularly painful last year. Investors that shorted Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong or the mainland suffered losses of more than $35 billion in 2017, almost half their stakes, according to New York-based data provider S3 Partners. Why were the China bears so wrong? Did they fail to understand the way the Chinese economy works, or were they just too early? In markets, there is often little difference. But for the global economy, this is one of the most important questions to answer in 2018. Even with strong headline growth, some analysts and investors are once again worried that Beijing's stop-start attempts to tackle its alarming credit boom could cause problems this year. Indeed, some of the biggest bears remain undeterred by China's thus far graceful slowdown in growth. Kimikos's bets against China largely paid off, Mr. Chano says, and the hedge fund manager, as well as a handful of other prominent investors and economists, remain convinced that China's economy is still on the road to ruin. Mr. Chano says, Nothing has changed. They're just doing what all governments do, kick the can down the road. And in China's case, it's a giant borrowed can. I don't know when it will end. I just know it's unsustainable. Xi Jinping, China's president, announced a new era for the country at the Communist Party Congress in October, where he exhorted colleagues to work tirelessly to realize the Chinese dream of national rejuvenation. A large part of that dream has already been fulfilled. Three decades ago, China's gross domestic product was about $250 billion, roughly the equivalent of Finland or Chile's current economic heft. Today, just the economy of Shenzhen, the mainland city north of Hong Kong, is a third bigger at current prices. The country's overall GDP has grown to nearly $12 trillion. China's post-crisis growth was juiced by a borrowing binge. Its overall debt-to-GDP ratio, including the government, households, and local companies, has risen sharply over the past decade to 256%, according to the Bank for International Settlements. The Chinese banking sector's assets have swelled to 310% of GDP, up from 240% five years ago. This was the central concern of hedge funds gunning for China, such as Heyman's Mr. Bass. In early 2016, he laid out his case for why, quote, China's back is completely up against the wall, unquote. He wrote that the unwavering faith that the Chinese will somehow be able to successfully avoid anything more severe than a moderate economic slowdown by continuing to rely on the perpetual expansion of credit reminds us of the belief in 2006 that U.S. home prices would never decline. Mr. Bass argued that China would have to burn through its foreign currency reserves to rescue its financial sector, which is bloated with bad debts. This would force it to devalue its currency, the renminbi. At the time, China had already rattled markets by letting the renminbi depreciate against the dollar, and betting on a deeper devaluation had become the popular trade for hedge fund managers. For a period, it looked smart. About $1 trillion of China's reserves evaporated in 2015 and 2016, and by the end of 2016, the renminbi had slipped by over 12% to an eight-year low versus the dollar. Yet China held the line. The renminbi bounced back in 2017. Reserves are again on the increase, and the shorts have been remorselessly flushed out. Anne Stevenson Yang, director of research at J Capital Research, notes that the government is very sensitive to having the renminbi shorted and considers it some kind of national disgrace to have foreign funds be able to outflank them. The Chinese government sees itself as the master of the house, 
the house being the Chinese economy. Some China bears, such as Mr. Chanos, still made money eschewing the currency trade and focusing instead on companies that were indirectly exposed to its slowdown and rebalancing, such as Brazil's Vale, Australia's BHP Billiton, and other commodity groups. But for many investors, the big China short became what traders ruefully call a widow-maker. Mark Kingdon, a veteran hedge fund manager who has been investing in China since the early 1980s, says many bears simply misunderstood the country. The head of Kingdon Capital Management says, With all the noise, it's sometimes easy to forget that China is a managed economy, that they owe all the debts to themselves, and they have trillions of dollars in reserves. I've been following China for a long time, so maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but it's astonishing what they've achieved. There are signs that authorities are getting a handle on the credit boom. Morgan Stanley estimates that China's overall debt-to-GDP ratio rose by only four percentage points in the first nine months of 2017, a quote-unquote significant improvement compared to the 42 percentage point increase in the ratio from 2015 to 2016. J.P. Morgan estimates that the debt-to-GDP ratio fell in the second quarter last year, the first outright decline since 2011. Beijing's success is underscored by the diverging performance of two exchange-traded funds appropriately called yin and yang that are managed by Direxion. Yin, which is a three-times leveraged China Bull ETF, returned nearly 130% in 2017. The Yang China Bear ETF lost two-thirds of its value. However, the factors that unnerve the pessimists remain in place. In its latest outlook on the global economy, the IMF warned that, quote, the size, complexity, and pace of growth in China's financial system point to elevated financial stability risks, unquote. Even Zhou Xiaochuan, the central bank governor, has warned that China faced a possible Minsky moment, referring to U.S. economist Hyman Minsky's theory that stability breeds a complacency that ultimately disintegrates into panic. Last week, Guo Xuqing, the China banking regulator, also warned that a black swan event could threaten China's financial stability. In the lead-up to last year's party congress, Beijing unveiled a regulatory windstorm that was aimed at taming the shadow banking system. The possibility that this might escalate into a clampdown that could imperil growth even triggered some unease in Chinese markets last month. Cracking down on the unrulier corners of finance is overdue, argues Arjun Divecha, head of emerging market equities and chairman at GMO, the Boston-based investment group. He compares the Chinese economy to a forest where the undergrowth, the shadow banking system, has grown too quickly. Mr. Devecha argues that it needs to burn that away without burning down the trees. There's a risk that happens, but they have the tools to deal with it. Mr. Bass did not respond to requests for comments on Heyman's short position, but he appears determined to hold his ground. On December 29th, he tweeted a Reuters article about China's shadow banking sector, calling it, quote-unquote, a total financial disaster. Mr. Chanos says Beijing is unwilling to take action that would risk a sharp slowdown and imperil the Communist Party's grip on power. Mr. Chanos says, The treadmill to hell hasn't ended. They just keep investing. Whenever they tap the brakes, the economy wobbles, and they reverse course. At the moment, investors are basking in the broadest spell of global growth in years, helping spark a global market rally. China's rebound has played a significant role in this, and most investors expect it to continue. Mr. Gomez says PIMCO spends an extraordinary amount of time assessing China, visiting every month to assess its health. And while there are still some dangers, he believes the authorities have largely handled the challenge as well. He says, We have not let down our guard, but at the moment our assessment is that the issues are contained. Nonetheless, long-term bears argue that there is little reason to relax. Patrick Chauvenek, 
chief strategist at Silvercrest Asset Management and a former professor at Tsinghua University in Beijing, says they've kept the show going for a lot longer than he expected, at the cost of unimaginable debt levels. Mr. Chovanek adds, If you have cancer and the doctor gives you three months to live, and you live much longer than that, you still have cancer. You wouldn't stop by your doctor and laugh at how wrong he was.